ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to this edition of Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday, September 27th edition of the show. We are three days out from East Carolina and Rice doing battle in Houston, Texas. Conference play is almost upon us. We got Bobby Harward in studio for the second straight week. Bobby, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back after a pirate victory. Yeah, it feels feels you know just everything feels better this week, right? The uh, the the weather. It is a nice week of weather, by the way. No, it is no a real nice hot. fall day. Yeah. that's for sure. It just and feels like football weather. The mojo around t- town has definitely improved. Bobby, today is brought to us by Sup Dogs. Check them out, two thirteen East Fifth Street, Greenville, and C. And uh, we're going to have the SUP show tomorrow, by the way, 5 to 6 p.m. on the ECU Sports Network. You can catch that streaming. And we'll have that every Thursday, 5 to 6 p.m., where we talk to ECU student-athletes. Myself, Macy O'Donnell, Philip Pilkington is uh, producing that show as well as this show. He's behind the glass today. So, Bobby, Pirates coming off a win. And... 44 nothing. I don't care who you're playing. That has to feel pretty good. So you, you watch the game, just kind of your initial takeaways as you look back at the, the Pirates' first win of the year. Yeah, first thing is they won comfortably. I think that's the most important. Um, you know, 44 nothing, uh, looks, probably the score looks a lot better than maybe it actually was watching the game. But, uh, still, nonetheless, they won. They won comfortably. They took care of business and it has to give you confidence going forward into Rice. So I think that's the biggest thing. Another takeaway is kind of funny watching the game. I was like, man, I wonder if they played this game early in the year against Gardner Webb. I feel like they'd be two and two. Like, I think, right. I don't, I, I won't go. As far as to say they would have beaten both App and Marshall, but I do think they won win one of those games. Um, just giving the offense some confidence, they look more comfortable in the passing game. Uh, so yeah, just glad they took care of business and it wasn't closer than it needed to be. And I, I like that point because it's one of those things too. Uh, I thought when I was looking at kind of the schedule and we were talking about it after our ECU zone three start, you don't want to make excuses, but at that point you looked at it. App had already played Gardner Webb week one. Marshall had already played Albany week one. So, like, you looked at those teams, they had the chance to kind of figure some things out. ECU did not. And I think that maybe worked against them. And you're right. Maybe, maybe they'd be two and two right now. Obviously, they're not. So they still got to find a way to go five and three in conference to make a bowl game at minimum. And we'll get into that discussion here shortly. But when you look at the offense, and we've talked a lot about the defense, Bobby. Improvements by the offense, definitely. They ran the ball 4.1 yards per carry. Quarterbacks, I guess it's just going to be a two-quarterback deal at this point uh, from, from what we're seeing through four games. We're now through 33% of the season, and I just feel like is going to need both. I think they will need both. Uh, again, I mean, four point. What'd you say? Four point one yards. Four point one yards per carry. That's better than I thought it would be yeah. because watching the game, there weren't many easy runs. Not um, many chunk, chunk no, runs. No, yeah. not at all. And so I think that's still a concern going forward. Um, I think the defense definitely contributed to those forty-four points and, and five turnovers created. I know one of those was a special teams turnover, but still, give credit to the offense for capitalizing. Conrad hit a longer field goal, which is also encouraging from a 
special team standpoint. But, um, yeah, things look better in the passing game, but not great still. Um, again, weather conditions play into that. But I think I told you before we went on air, I was curious about the scoring drives because watching the game, I watched it delayed. So um, four of the seven scoring drives were 45 yards or less in terms of the total drive. So they had great field position. Again, you still got to capitalize, which they did. Credit to them. But uh, but still, they didn't have those long sustained sustain drives you would like to see. Yeah, and I thought the the second drive of the game where they had the long touchdown drive was an excellent drive. And, you know, Flynn, I still don't think he's 100%. I think he got banged up in the app game. And, you know, there's a lot of questions. Hey, why put in Mason Garcia in the second half? I thought Mason looked as good as he's looked. Now the pressure was off. The score was out of reach for the most part. But he went in. He operated the offense. He did what he needed to do. Did you see improvements from Garcia? From a quarterback standpoint, uh, nine of twelve passing the football. I did, yeah. He, the biggest takeaway I had from Mason was how comfortable he looked, and th- that's the thing. Watching him take some of those series and get some playing times and playing time, excuse me, in a comfortable situation, you see what the coaches see in practice, and you see why they want to make him the guy because he's he's gifted. I mean, he's a large dude. He can run the football, and he has a cannon for an arm. So if those mental pieces in the in between the in the ears can click, man. He he has a chance to be pretty good. Um, but the biggest takeaway for him that I thought was just how comfortable he looked, and how much of that, to your point, is being that there was really no pressure. Um, but you still got to play, and, and right. I think he showed up. So and tough, miserable conditions for those. Uh, you you didn't make it to the game, right? I did not. No, yeah. we actually uh, had a movie night, and okay. we wa- that's why I was watching it delayed. My daughter loves The Grinch, so we watched okay. the The Grinch, even though it's in September. Yeah, so you're gonna be watching it a lot leading into <laughs> yeah. uh, Christmas time, I yeah. guess. Uh, so yeah, the the conditions were miserable. I don't know how it came across on TV, and obviously we're in the press boxes, media, but like walking down post game, the wind was bad. The rain was bad. That clearly played a role in Garter Webb throwing for 30 yards. So maybe if it's a better day, some of those drop passes are catches. You know, Mason made one throw where he was rolling to his left. Defender in his face threw it across his body over a defender to Rajay. He hit him right in the hands and dropped it. But that, like, that's kind of we, – we keep talking about why the coaches keep giving Mason chances. Kind of like if he looks like that all the time, you got a pretty good quarterback. Exactly. And the other thing is, it's not like Alex Flynn is blowing you off his, right. your feet either. So, you know, I know he's dealing with a shoulder issue, but he had some short throws. He underthrew some people. And he doesn't look the most comfortable back in the pocket either. Again, he's still trying to get comfortable and acclimated to, you know, live game environment. But still, like you said, you see exactly what the coaches see in practice. And hopefully it gave a glimpse to all of us fans watching of, hey, this is why we started Mason Garcia, pieces are there. Everything just hasn't meshed perfectly yet. Bobby Harward is in studio today. We're live on YouTube and Facebook. If you got a question or comment, drop it here. We'll also have Kaysen Ramaley. He works for Hoist the Colors as our basketball writer. He's going to join us the second half of the show to break down the new Pirates schedule. I know you're excited for some basketball, right? I am excited for basketball. I think, uh, especially reading, uh, was it Athlon Sports? I yeah. put saw the message board with some of those quotes in there. It gets you excited. I think that's the best team we're going to have in a long time. So, yeah. excited for basketball. We're going to run down the schedule, give you ECU's potential path to an at-large berth if that's if that's go. a real thing uh, but uh we'll dive into that on uh later in the show all right bobby so conference play is here east carolina going to rice 
So you've did you go to Rice in 2010? Rice is probably the weirdest place I've yeah. ever played. That, that or I didn't play, but coach that. Yeah, Rice is an interesting spot. Um, a, there's nobody in the stands. Uh, their band is not students, so it's members of the community Boy. come and participate in the band, and they kind of dress up in these funky, weird costumes like now Stanford I'm really does. intrigued. And then on top of that, I don't know if you knew this or not, uh, they have houses there, kind of like what you would think in Harry Potter. So when they <laughs> announce the starting lineup, they say the player's name, position, height, and weight, and then the house that they're in because wow. they have to stay on campus all four years. So it's very, very interesting place. I'm glad I'm not traveling this Saturday to Houston, or excuse me, to Rice, which is in Houston. Right. Houston is a cool town, but Rice, uh, not so much. Yeah, Houston's super spread out. I've been to the, the Cougar Stadium multiple times, and this time, this will be my first trip to Rice. ECU has only played there twice all time. I did find an Airbnb like right across the street from the stadium, so I'm interested to see what the campus life is like, if anything. Uh, see maybe I'm gonna, and yeah, maybe and I'm going to end up at some uh, yeah, Gryffindor house. I don't know. Uh, but it'll be interesting. And East Carolina, you look at this league right now. We kind of touched on it the last few weeks, Bobby. Nobody is really establishing themselves as the team in the league. And outside of, you know, betting favorite, probably still Tulane. They're only lost to Ole Miss at home. They didn't have Michael Pratt that game. UTSA, without Frank Harris, he will probably be back in 100% for the ECU game because that's how it works. But he, they're struggling right now. Uh, Memphis looked pretty good. Then they lost to Missouri this past weekend. I would say those are still kind of the top tier. But then after that, man, it's wide open. So this is a crucial opportunity for ECU to, to start off on the right foot. The conference is really down. Um, we talked a little bit again before going on air. S- seven of the 14 teams in conference have only won one game this year. So half, half, the, year, the, league. half the league has won one game. ECU is in that. Um, you have two teams who have won three games. That's Tulane and that's Memphis. And then the other five have won two. So Rice is one of those teams that have won two. Um, but... Yeah, it's it's just it's not looked great for the American. Uh, they seem to be pretty down this year uh, compared to you know previous years. But everything is up for grabs now that conference play starts. I know the season hasn't been you know quite as we had hoped, but all those goals that you set for conference championships and and bowl games and all that kind of stuff, those are still attainable at this point in the season, being that we're starting conference play this week. And uh, looking at the schedule, there's not a game. In conference play that I don't think ECU can win. Now, the problem is there's also not a game where I'm like, that's a definite win, given how the team is playing right now. I mean, SMU has struggled to, to really score. You're looking at this, some of their scores, and, and they got to come to ECU on a Thursday night. You know, Rice is Rice, Charlotte, Biff Pogie, we know the deal there. Uh, UTSA, we just talked about that situation. You do get Tulane at home. FAU's not looking as good as maybe we thought. They just lost their quarterback to an ACL. Navy, you know, is Navy, but they're not unbeatable. And then Tulsa. So, like, there's no game that's like, man, the Pirates are going to go get get smacked. So, I feel like this is a manageable schedule. You got to go 5-3 and three in the league. I think that's doable given what's in front of you. But 
also, there's not a ton of margin for error because I don't think ECU right now is a great football team. Exactly. I think you have to win this game. If you don't win this game, you, you're all but kissing your bowl, bowl hopes alive. Um, or goodbye, excuse me. So, uh, <laughs> keeping them alive. Trying to keep them alive, but, uh, yeah, you, you gotta win this game, take care of business this weekend. They should be playing a backup quarterback, which, you know, works in your favor. But looking down the schedule, like I said last week, I still don't trust SMU. They're coming here on a Thursday night. Charlotte's very winnable. Tulsa Navy, as you've mentioned before, there's no team that really stands out, um, you know, who we're playing. And hopefully, you know, we're going to UTSA. If, if Frank, th- those turf toes are tough to overcome. Right. You know, they kind of just linger. For a while, yeah. 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 So, you know, that there's hope. They just got to take care of business and gradually improve each week. Yeah. And if you, if you do win, not to put the car before the horse, but if you do win going into a bye week, that's another reason why this is such a huge game. The difference between two and three and one and four going to that bye and potentially having a two-game winning streak, one and zero in conference, resting up, and then you come home for a nationally televised Thursday night game. You could all of a sudden have that buzz, that excitement back around the program. Whereas if you go out and lose, don't play well at Rice, the opposite happens, and you got to sit on that for a bye week. And nobody wants to sit on a loss during a bye. That's probably one of the worst feelings there is. Is you you know you 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 practice still during the bye week, obviously, and normally those are some chances to get these young guys some reps. And you're able to give those young guys reps when you're two and two. You know, when you're one and three going in there, you're really trying to figure things out still, and you want to give yourself a chance to finish strong and still make a bowl game. So you're going to be repping with the ones, and those guys can't really recover as as much as you'd like. Um, the other thing, what makes it so important, coming, I'm going to take a step back here uh, to Gardner-Webb, coming off a win this week of practice, you can coach them so much harder uh, because – you know, they have those good vibes of a win. You can go after them in practice. You're not trying to be overly optimistic coming off and keeping the mojo high uh, off of a loss. So the fact that they won that game also helps them. Uh, but, yeah, the worst feeling in the world is going into a bye week after a loss. It's one of the worst. Mike Houston told us he – you know, I think this was on the coaches' show. I, I talked to him so much now during during the week with the coaches' show in the press conference, and we talked to him again on Wednesday. It's like hard to keep track of which day is which. But he said at some point that basically he tried as hard as possible to get the coaches and the coaching staff to stay as positive as possible when they were zero and three because all the negativity. You know, the players hear it; they can try to block it out, but they're going to hear it. They're all you have to do is open Twitter, and right. it's like, you know, the first five messages. Here's what you missed on Twitter or X or Instagram. You know, it's popping up. So they see it. It sounds like the staff st- still stayed extremely positive. And 0-3 going into a terrible weather condition game, playing Gardner-Webb, like they could have easily just gone out there and just messed around, lost the game, not really showed much interest. But they dominated the game, and I think that shows – yeah, the team is still overcoming some things, but clearly they're still listening to this coaching staff. Exactly. The, the mindset was right because we saw the opposite of that. Gardner-Webb right. did not show up. So uh, I, I expected a lot better Gardner-Webb team than what we saw. Yeah, and it's I, not the Gardner-Webb I, I was promised. No, and, and <laughs> I don't think I – th- I think they are better than what we saw. So I still think that doesn't take – in my opinion, that doesn't take anything away from that win for, for those guys in the locker room. And, yeah, I, again – it shows you how mentally tough they are. Uh, it's a good job by the coaching staff to, to keep everybody's heads in the game, uh, to keep everybody focused, especially, you know, 
I'm sure there was points in time you're trying to wonder, you know, are we still going to play this game on Saturday or are we going to have to move it to Sunday? So for everyone to still be focused and in tune, uh, impressive job by the coaching staff and really good job by the players uh, because, you know, ultimately they're the ones that have to stay focused and take care of business. All right, he is Bobby Harward. He is wearing his Ted Lasso shirt on this Wednesday edition of the show. Let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll talk uh, keys to, to victory, potentially, and also some things to really watch at Rice. Also take a look around the country at college football. Talk about Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, getting smacked around a little bit. Uh, and I finally got one pick right against uh, Colorado. So we'll talk about some of that and more on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. We'll be right back. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Matey. Back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the show. Wednesday edition of Voice the Colors. Got our headsets working now. Take mine out. Uh, but, uh, so, Bobby, we were talking during the break. We did get a question from YouTube. By the way, we are live on YouTube and Facebook. If you got something to ask us, uh, drop it there. We'll get to it. But... Still not a ton of explosive plays from this offense, and you mentioned kind of the scoring drives, and TCU's defense or credit, it is hard to put together long, sustained drives if you're not getting explosive plays again and again. So we saw Keith Mitchell do it a lot last year. We did see the long pass to Josiah Hatfield on the, the longest touchdown drive of the game uh, by Alex Flynn. So how does this offense get more – Explosives? Uh, is it just blocking it better, or is it just continuing to give the ball to Javius Bond? A little bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you ha- you have to block first and foremost, obviously. Uh, but Bond does have that it factor. He he's very similar to Keaton Mitchell in that aspect. Um, he has that explosive breakaway speed. Uh, you'd like to see some of that maybe in the play action pass game, but right now we're not able to hold up long enough or create enough separation. Uh, or even get the ball there. There's a lot of factors for that, but um, you know, I think handing the ball to Bond is their best opportunity to break one. Uh, another big play opportunities you'd like to see maybe in the wide receiver screen game with Jalen Johnson, Josiah Hatfield. I just don't trust our O-line right now to be able to get out and make those blocks necessary for those tunnel screens, um, but Bond, to me, is the yeah. answer. Yeah, And it's tough to say, hey, this true freshman needs to be our big play guy but you know outside of Josiah Hatfield I'm just not seeing it I will say this Jalen Johnson I thought showed as much speed as I've seen when he caught a pass from Mason and got upfield on third and long turned into a huge play I was like man where has that been but I guess he just hasn't gotten the ball in space enough to really show it off Exactly, yeah, and, and that was a cool little that we had that under Lincoln Riley as a drive concept is what we called it. Essentially, you have all of your receivers run downfield, clear clear out space, and we used to run it a ton with Lance Lewis and just a yeah, shallow crossing route, and that creates some space. His speed, especially in man to man coverage, is great, um, and kind of exactly what you saw on that play is just throw it to him three yards, complete a three yard completion. And then let him do the rest. And he created, what, 25, 30 yards on that? Yeah. So A lot of his yards came after the catch because those were most of the plays. And they missed him, too, on, on several of those shallow crossers as well. So they, he could have had over 100 yards receiving. He was open probably because the Gardner-Webb guys just couldn't hang with him. And how realistic that is against Rice, I don't know. But they gave up, like, 597 yards to South Florida. And I think that this is a game – 
probably, from an FBS standpoint, the weakest defense you face at this point. Now, you're on the road. They're going to be trying to clean up some of the errors they made. But this should be a game the offense can continue to potentially trend in the right direction. They're going to have to score points to be able to win the game. I mean, that's Captain Obvious, but and I mean that in saying they're going to have to score a lot of points. Um, Rice has scored the second most points in conference. They've scored 141 points through their four games. Memphis has scored 148 in their first. So Rice can score points. I mean, they put up 40-something against Houston. So the offense is going to have to do their job, sustain drives, create big explosive plays, and put the ball in the end zone. Can't go down and settle for field goals. Can't miss field goals. They have to get six, and they have to be able to sustain drives consecutive drives because that's that's if they don't do that then we're going to be coming back here next week one and four william landon on youtube says with what we have seen from the offensive line four games in does he think ecu should mix in a little more outside zone runs as a former coach what's your thought on that do you feel like the personnel is there you got to have an out you got to have first off an athletic front to run outside zone and uh, you got to have the backs to hit the cuts. So do you feel like that's something you can mix in? Unfortunately not. I don't think we have the athletic enough front to do that. Um, you, you look at App State, it's probably one of the better outside run teams in the area. And, you know, they, they're a lot smaller than we are up right. front, but they're super athletic and they can move. Where I think we see the most success in the run game, at least what we saw at Gart- against Gardner-Webb, granted it's an FCS opponent, is in your gra- uh, gap scheme. So your powers, your counters, where you're pulling guards, you're pulling tackles, those sort of things. That fits Rajay the best as well. Um, over our first four games, we have done a lot of inside zone. Unfortunately, because we are not super strong up front, um, that's almost an automatic backside C-gap run for us because you're trying to hit play side A, then you're kind of slowly working your way back from backside A, backside B, and it's hitting right off the tackle right now because everything's getting mushed up up front. The other advantage of gap schemes is it gives our linemen angles because they're blocking down, they're pulling and kicking out, that sort of thing. So those guys up front play side that are blocking down, it does give them a little bit of an advantage uh, blocking at an angle rather than going head up. And we saw... Against App, ECU went to almost exclusively zone running this past weekend. It was more of a mix of gap and zone, and you had uh, a good balance there, like a good balance in the first two games. So I think that's what they want to do is have a balance because the running game was not very good at App. And uh, it was much better this week. They should be able to run the ball on Rice, although Rice has a solid front. Uh, South Florida, interestingly enough, Bobby was able to – throw the ball a lot with Byron Brown, their quarterback, but also he ran all over him too, like 80 yards rushing and uh, 400-something yards passing. And if you look at that, you got to be tempted to say Mason Garcia could be another weapon here because they struggled with the mobile quarterback last week. Now, a lot of his plays weren't necessarily design runs, speaking to uh, the USF quarterbacks, so you know that's a little different than what maybe EC wants to do with Mason the majority of the time, but I'm just, I just don't know what right now where the quarterback situation stands as far as like if you're ECU, do you just evaluate it each week saying who gives us the best chance to, to win or do you approach it from the standpoint of, all right, the offense has looked better the last two games, starting Flynn and then bringing Mason off the bench. Do you just keep that going because you've seen improvements there? I think you automatically start Alex, but I do think as the game goes on, you play whoever gives you the best chance to win. I I relate it very much so, and I know we talked a few weeks ago about 
you know, Blake Kemp, James Summers, right. that 2015 season. Uh, this, to me, is looking more and more like that as we've gone yeah, along. It feels like it. Yeah, because, you know, Blake didn't have the best of arms, but he was competent back there throwing the football. Same thing, Alex Flynn. He doesn't have the best arm, but he's competent and he gets the job done. Mason can throw the ball much better than James Summers can, but he still gives you that running aspect. I think seeing, and I thought it was a great job by the coaching staff to get Mason in as early as they did this this past week against Gardner Webb to let him get comfortable. But seeing him perform in a you know comfortably in the pocket, I think gives you a little bit more confidence to throw him in there. Gives you more confidence to rotate drives and those sort of things. So it's not necessarily Alex is sustaining the whole you know. Uh, offensive pose- all the offensive possessions up until he gets hurt or something happens. It, you're able to rotate and feel comfortable rotating. Seeing how the offense plays, I think we'll see that going forward. I think you'll see more rotation between the quarterbacks. Seeing if Mason get the run game going, um, and you know who knows. Shoot, if you put him in, focusing on you know running the football from a quarterback position, and he hits in a few throws and gets some confidence, there's no telling what could happen from there. Yeah, and and. You hate to look at it this way, but it is a pretty empty environment. So, like, there's not going to be a ton of fat, uh, cr- crowd noise to where he's facing a bunch of pressure on the road. So maybe he can do better, get some confidence in that environment too, or the whole offense can. Uh, we'll see how it plays out on Saturday. All right, I pulled up the American schedule for us to look at, Bobby. New. We'll start with the American, and then we'll we'll look around college football. Uh, Temple and Tulsa. You got that one marked on your your calendar. <laughs> I will not be watching that on Thursday. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that is a Thursday night game. 7.30 ESPN. I was about to say, I saw ESPN. I'm like, there's no way this is a Saturday ESPN broadcast. No, it's I'll be watching Dan Campbell and the Lions bite some kneecaps um, there you Thursday go. night since that's the NFL game. I think, I'll, I think I'm going to choose Temple Tulsa, man. There this you is, go. This is the game I've been waiting for. Uh, UAB at Tulane. Trent Dilfer's first game in the American. Tulane is a 21.5 point favorite as UAB heads on the road to New Orleans. USF goes to Navy. They're two of the few teams that have actually played an American game. So that they, that's kind of a game to watch. Not that I'm going to be glued to the TV, but you've already got USF with a conference win. Navy looked pretty good against Memphis. So, like, I'm kind of intrigued by that game. I am, too. I th- anytime you have an American conference uh, matchup, it's always intriguing from a conference standpoint. And especially early on, you're trying to see – Who's actually legit? Right. Who's not legit? So I think this is this is a good measuring stick game. I think we're going to see a lot of weird scores in the American this year. Uh, Boise State is going to Memphis. ESPN two four o'clock on Saturday. That'll be interesting as a non conference game. East Carolina at Rice. Rice right now three point favorite. Abilene Christian at North Texas. I know Bobby's really excited about that one. And then the Fighting Biff Pogues, Charlotte. They head to Dallas to take on SMU. So. Uh, Charlotte did hang in there. Was it Florida last week? Put up a decent fight, but still struggling to find wins, much like really the entire conference. But uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to, the, to the matchup when the Niners roll to town. Are you going to be wearing your cutoff sleeve for that game? I won't. My sister will be in town. She went to Charlotte, so she'll be attending the game. To their credit, they have played a challenging schedule, and they they've looked, looked good playing against Maryland and against Florida. They still can't move the ball offensively, but still impressive showings for those two games. Maybe I do cut off one of uh, those purple shirts that I have and and roll out in late October. 
I'd say what if we if we lose that game, it's gonna get it's gonna get bad. It's gonna be a lot of angry power fans. Yeah, some <laughs> people will be fired if we lose that game. Probably. <laughs> uh, Friday, September 29th. This is uh, this week. Obviously, really good game. One of the best marquee games of the the weekend. Utah. At Oregon State, Oregon State coming off a tough loss to Washington State. That'll be a top 25 matchup. Always good to have some Friday night football. Late night, 9 o'clock kick on FS1. Bobby, I don't know about you, but put the kids to bed. We're both at that point in our life where you got to get them down, and then you can really watch TV. So I enjoy the late night games. Me too. I think for me, the windows to watch football are anywhere between that that early uh, slate or that really late slate right. because the early slate, they're at least napping. Uh, NC State and Louisville are also on Friday night, That's so right. that will be a good one as well. Kind of a lead-in to the Pac-12 after dark. So it's a couple good games on Friday. USC going to Colorado. Deion Sanders had to eat some words this past weekend. How about Dan Lanning, given the pregame speech he did? Do you, Any chance they hang around with SC on uh, at 12 noon? That will be a 10 a.m. local kickoff time. I would hope not, but you know... <laughs> I love Lincoln. There is always one of those games where they there just kind of should not let a team in it, and I worry this is a game. It, we this, saw it at ECU when he was here. Well, and it's 9 a.m. local time for them. Yeah. I mean, that's early. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I hope not. I think Colorado kind of got overhyped early on. There was a lot of excitement. USC is way superior talent-wise. Um, so I still think USC wins, but I think it'll be close. All right, Florida is at Kentucky. Georgia is at Auburn and what could be an interesting game. Michigan goes on the road for the first time to Matt Rule in Nebraska. Kansas and Texas, sneaky good game as uh, Kansas continues to roll. Uh, 4-0, matchup of 4-0 there. LSU, Ole Miss, Oregon, Stanford. Stanford's awful this year. Notre Dame to Duke. College game day will be there. That'll be... Uh, That'll be a scene. I'm interested to see how many Fighting Irish fans are in the stands because there's a lot of Notre Dame fans across the country and still not many Duke football fans. But how many people are jumping on the Duke football bandwagon? How about that? The uh, Fighting Mike Elkos. Yeah, I mean, doing a heck of a job. Yeah, they're doing awesome. Uh, My dad's a Duke alum and uh, really big Blue Devil. Unfortunately, our son's birthday party is Saturday, so he will not Uh, be. (laughs) I felt bad for him because, you know, Duke's finally really good and getting college game day. Yeah, but, yeah, we'll be celebrating my son's birthday instead. But, yeah, how awesome is that for them, too? I mean, they've held college game day for basketball before, but this is the first time ever for football. First time ever for football. Maybe East Carolina can can do it one day. And to start on that path, they got to beat Rice, Bobby. So what do you want to see Saturday as we wrap up here? You know, we could go with the standard keys to victory, but, like, is there one particular area you're looking for on Saturday as the Pirates head to Houston to take on the house? We've already talked offensively a little bit, so I'm, I've said I think they need to sustain drives and score points. Um, but defensively, contain the quarterback because if that backup is playing, uh, he's a little more of a dual threat than JT Daniels because JT's like 45 years old right. playing college football. So, you know, having a, a mobile quarterback back there always concerns me and just may, containing him in the pocket staying on your pass rush dots, and uh, limiting the big play. So I want to see how the defense steps up. If they can create more turnovers, too, that allow our offense good field position. All right, he is Bobby Harwood. He's brought to us by Sup Dogs today, 213 East 5th Street, Greenville, NC, by the Stop Shop. 
where you can find my brother Scott uh, working as well every now and then. All right, so we'll be back, uh, by the way, at Subdogs tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. with another edition of Subdogs Live. Bobby, appreciate the time today, man. We'll have you on next Wednesday again. Sounds good. Hopefully after another Pirate win. Hopefully so. We'll be in the bye week, so we'll be uh, be hopefully recapping a Pirate win, looking ahead to the SMU game the following Thursday. All right. We'll be right back. We're going to switch gears. We're going to talk some pirate hoops on the other side. we got Case from Romaley from Hoist the Colors. He's going to join the show, and we're going to dive into the Pirates' 2023-24 schedule. We, we have laid out our predictions for each game, and so we may give you a prediction. We may give you a path to an at-large berth. We will uh, break that down on the other side, talking pirate hoops. We'll be right back. This is Hoist the Colors. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. 194.3, the game. All right, welcome back into the show on this Wednesday, September 27th edition of Hoist the Colors. We just talked some pirate football with Bobby Harwood. Appreciate him. Brought to us by Subdogs today. And we're going to switch gears now and talk some pirate hoops. If you listen to the Hoist the Colors podcast, you're very familiar with our next guest, Kaysen Romaley. He helps us out on Hoist the Colors. He is a senior at ECU. I just gave him the official title of HTC Basketball Insider. You got sources in the industry, case. I'm not going to give him away because no good reporter gives away his sources. But uh, you do a great job. You love college basketball. So welcome to the show. Appreciate and, it. It's really good to make my debut here. I was, I've been looking forward to it, even though this summer we we did some shows kind of breaking down each player and some teams, and now I'm finally here. Basketball, it's not here, but we're definitely getting closer. We're getting close, man. The Pirates, I believe, officially started practice Monday, which is a good thing. The schedule dropped, I think, last Friday, and we did kind of a – if you want to go back, you can listen to the Hoist of Colors podcast. We basically looked at every team in the Americans. We already knew who EC was playing. We just didn't have the dates. Now we have a schedule that is lined up on paper. Now, we've already gone through and done our win and loss prediction on every single game. We may or may not have time to do that on today's show. We'll talk about that. But you made the prediction that FAU on the road would be ECU's conference opener, and you nailed it. January 2nd, Pirates open in Boca. So what, what was your thoughts on the schedule coming out? Well, I remember me and you talking in the uh, football meeting room, and you asked me, you were like, who did we open with? And I said, watch us open in Boca Raton. And guess what? We're opening with Boca Raton. And I think that it's going to be a good test. It's going to be their first, not their first real road game, but their first real road environment. It's going to be FAU's conference home opener. It's going to be packed. It's going to be loud. And coming in, they're right now the favorites. So, I mean, yeah. we'll see what they're going to do there. I mean, I'm optimistic right now, but don't know right now. So, FAU will be the first conference game on January 2nd. And uh, then the Pirates will host Tulsa in the uh, conference home opener January 7th at Temple. ECU, I don't think, has ever won at Temple. Uh, SMU, North Texas will come to Greenville at UAB. The Pirates do not host UAB. They do host Memphis on February 29th. They don't go to Memphis. Uh, you know, with 14 teams in the league, it's kind of a different schedule this year. Because really, you, you get Tulane at home, you don't go to Tulane. I think the Pirates go to UTSA and Rice, but don't get either of those at home. So it's, it's just kind of a weird schedule, honestly. The South Florida, you only play them once. So, I don't know. It's just... You, 
there's just so many teams now, it's like hard to really know what to expect. Yeah, and I think there were a lot of questions from all the teams going into the conference schedule breakdown. And I think that one thing I'm not the biggest fan of is the amount of times we're going to go to Texas this this so, year. It's, the, it's, it's the new Texas conference, not going to be great. Um, I think that going to North Texas is going to be tough. Going to SMU is going to be tough. And the fact that we played North Texas twice, I don't think, is great. And we play... And then if you look at the bottom of the schedule, they're going to stay in Texas because they play at North Texas on March 3rd, which is a Sunday. And then they play at SMU March 6th, which is a Wednesday. And no matter who you, no matter what team you are in the country, whether you're Kansas, whether you're Duke, if you travel to a place and stay there for two games, it's going to be rough. And I could see us dropping both of those games, sadly. Uh, not to give it away, but I have East Carolina with a four-game losing streak starting at Rice versus Memphis at North Texas at SMU. That is a brutal yeah. stretch. They do close the season at home against Charlotte, the regular season, on March 9th. But to finish three of your final four uh, games before that are in Texas, and you get Memphis at home in between. And Memphis is probably going to be preseason top 25. Then, them and FAU, for people who don't follow the league this offseason, they're going to be the preseason favorites. Um but I'll be honest, man, this is a – and we'll talk about more about the schedule here in a minute. I actually have the net rankings of every team ECU's facing from a year ago. Now, these will change a lot because you got transfer portal, coaching changes, that sort of stuff. But basically, I ran the numbers just to see, hey, if some of these teams stay the same, how it look in 23-24. But this East Carolina team, we did several breakdowns. We broke down each player over the summer. I know you're high on this team. I'm high on this team. And uh, I'm just going to say we both have ECU winning 20 regular season games. And I think a lot of that is due to the non-conference schedule, the chance to rack up some wins there. But this team has a chance to be pretty good, don't you think? Yes, and as uh, Schwartz said in his statement, um, he said our non-conference is competitive. And I agree with that. It's not strong. It's competitive. Yes, there are a couple games. I mean, if you look through our non-conference, I think our first real test is going to be it's going to be at the Pirate Invitational, I think, because right. I mean, and that's also going to prepare them greatly for the AAC tournament and hopefully postseason because you're going to be playing three games in three days, and then you go to George Mason right after that. Even though you do have you do have a four day break, but you do go to at George Mason, which is going to be your first true road game. But I don't I don't think so. I don't know. Don't hold me, but I don't think George Mason is going to be rocking in there so i mean that's when you like they should be around thanksgiving so i doubt they yeah. would have a huge yeah you know i know they got good fans but i don't think it's gonna be like packed out with students so yeah i mean that you look at the schedule ecu should be favored in the first six games they open november 6th against Ferrum, campbell usc upstate northeastern georgia southern kennesaw state are all coming for the pirate classic so kennesaw state last year was the only top 150 net team in the first six games, and they lost their coach. And so they're kind of in rebuilding mode. George Mason was 139 in the net last year. Uh, UNCW, and they have a new coach as well, by the way. UNCW, 141. South Carolina was 235 in the net last year. I would expect them to be better. I don't know if they're going to be a great SEC team, but they're not going to be as bad as they were last year. So th- that should be a competitive game as well. Yeah, 100%. But I think... Um, I don't know who you picked, but I picked us to lose. I picked us to lose to Wilmington and South Carolina. I'm wow. pretty sure because I just I and I think that Wilmington has has our number. I think last year it wasn't great, and 
even though I do think our I don't know how much Wilmington returned. I know we returned more than they did. I know that. But then again, I just think that's a tough game. And then South Carolina's going to improve. I mean, they're they're an SEC school, and they're going to have to keep up with the big dogs. So they definitely did this upcoming, this past offseason. Second year for uh, their coach there and also Siddle back at UNCW. So I, I think both those teams will be good. Florida is the kind of the marquee road game, even though it's a neutral game. It's played in Lakeland, Florida. They were they were seventy three in the net last year and they weren't even very good with another first year coach I believe so they should be good they're actually projected to be uh, NCAA tournament caliber team on paper given the portal so you look at the non conference case and like to me all right you got let's see here six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen non conference games you know realistically you're going to be a dog most likely against Florida at George Mason could be either way. UNCW and South Carolina are toss-up games. Those are your four non-conference toss-up games, in my opinion. If you can take care of business with the rest, I have ECU losing, let's see here, two non-conference games. I have them losing at George Mason. I have them losing to Florida. I have them beating South Carolina and UNCW. So I have them going 11-2 and through non-conference, as do you. Yes. So you have them beating Florida and you had them winning at George Mason. So you, so you like the Pirates on the road. I do like the Pirates on the road because uh, hopefully I'll be going to those games, so they better be so winning. So pick, you're picking them out of uh, somewhat hard. And, uh, and, and also Florida last year on paper was supposed to be very good, and they were not very good. Yes, they have a loaded class, but, I mean, I'm not bought in on Florida right now. I followed them a little close last year. I followed them close this offseason because I knew they were going to be playing them. And also then again, just back on the record, I think I think our floor is 9-4. and four. And I think our I think ceiling. So I think our ceiling is twelve and one. I agree with that. Like I feel like nine and four should be your floor with this non-conference schedule. And even if you go nine and four, you're still set up for a decent year. If you go ten, eleven, twelve wins, you got a lot of momentum going into the conference play. And I've been asked kind of the question: Hey, if this ECU team really hits on all cylinders, do they have a chance at an at-large? The problem I have with this schedule is you can't afford a slip-up game. You definitely can't lose to some of these bad teams. Like last year, who did ECU lose to that was terrible? South Carolina State. South Carolina State. That was a horrific loss. I mean, they finished as one of the worst teams in the league. Even playing some of these teams like Maryland Eastern Shore, Delaware State, that's going to hurt your net. Northeastern, Campbell, USC Upstate. Uh, you know, Campbell and Upstate have been decent at times, but it's going to hurt you as far as you, you can't. Just playing the games <clears throat> going to hurt you, excuse me, but – if you lose one of those, you're, you're going to get killed in the net. So it just makes the margin for error extremely thin. Yeah, and you can look back to last year and look at the new conference member, FAU. I mean, last year they ran the table their whole schedule. They were I'm pretty sure they only lost one non-conference game, and I'm pretty sure it was against the top team. And then they ran their conference last year. They ran the conference last year, and they had what? Three or four losses maybe yeah. going in the tournament, and they were a nine seed, I think. So if so if ECU wants an at-large bid, they have to win close to 30 games. That's just all there's to it. Yeah. I mean, unless unless this conference ends up being just a lot better than people projected to. And, and you know, FAU had a 13 net last year, and they, uh, they have their whole starting lineup back, right? So they should be good. Memphis should be good. But you look at the, the net rankings. North Texas was 30 last year. Uh, they have some turnover. We'll see how good they are. UAB was 39, and if everything stayed the same, you would only have five quad one games on your schedule, and to make it as an at-large, you really need marquee wins. So 
You've got a couple quad twos as well. Wichita at Charlotte, I don't think is going to be as high as they were last year. They were top 100. They've got a lot of turnover. Temple probably going to drop as well. But Florida could be one. Depending on what happens with South Carolina, they might could be one. Uh, but you're going to need some marquee wins is the, the main thing. Yeah, and I think that if you want to add a quad one win, well, first got to beat Florida. But I think looking at Florida's schedule before they play us, I think if they are coming into that game, what is it, 8-0, 9-0, they possibly could be one. But then again, it's early in the season. But I think that, yes, in the, in, nowadays in college basketball, it's all about getting getting quad one wins, quad one wins. But also at the end of the day is also like we talked about last year, if you're not in a if you're not in the Big 12 or the Big 10, you're not going to get any quad one wins. It's hard. It's hard. It definitely is. All right, let's get our final break in. Casey Romaley is with us. We'll be right back. We'll uh, share our final predictions uh, with as much time as we can and wrap up the show from there. This is Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. Here there be pirates. Back to hoist the colors with Steve and I go. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? All right, welcome back into the show on this Wednesday. We've talked pirate football, and now we're talking pirate hoops with Kaysen Romaley, hoist the colors, basketball reporter in his second season with HTC. He's a senior at East Carolina. All right, so we got a couple minutes left. Let's get into as much as we can here. we got the full schedule game-by-game picks. We'll do this again as we get closer to the season and break it down further. But we didn't do it like this, but we both have ECU 21-10 and 10 and 10-8 and in conference. Yes. And we have some similar patches on the schedule. Uh, where we differentiate is I have ECU winning just two true road games all season, but only losing one home game, which is to the Memphis Tigers. So I have them beating South Carolina, UNCW, North Texas, uh, some of the tougher teams, Tulane on their schedule. But I think it is a very manageable home game. Um, you have them beating Memphis, but then losing to to a couple of teams at home like North Texas. So that, those are some of the areas we differed. Yeah, and uh, as we talked about during the break and also the last two years I've been here, you've always said the Pirates will always struggle on the road. And yeah, I've seen it for too long. Which which is fair, but um, I'm more optimistic this year about on the road, and I think going to George Mason, our first road game, which isn't going to be too crazy, will be will be a win, I think. You do not agree. and then But we both do think that at FAU is going to be a rough one. Yeah, it's just a tough one to open with. Now, if, if ECU does go like 11, 12 wins in non-conference, that could set up to be a an awesome conference opener on paper. I mean, I think FAU will still be in the top 25 at that point. At Temple is an early season conference road game that I'll be monitoring. I have it as a loss, but like Philip texted us earlier, ECU's 0-7 all-time at Temple. They just never seem to play well up there. But that should be a winnable game. It's just like, can ECU with this team go on the road and win those type of games? Can they go to Charlotte and UTSA back-to-back, two teams that should be beneath them in the conference and win? We have it as both wins. Those are my two true road wins. But this this team is going to have to prove they can do it. Yeah, I also think that – and also in four of ECU's road games, there are first-year head, head coaches which I think is huge, which hasn't happened in the past. And I think those are winnable because of that, honestly. And we're going to see. A lot of new head coaches, new teams, new turnover. It's just it's going to be an interesting year in the American, but the, the thing we like is the Pirates have a lot coming back. 
Yeah. I mean, they return so much. I mean, they use the portal the way that most coaches don't in retaining instead of going out and get. All right, November 6th. It'll be here before you know it. Pirates will open the season against Ferrum. Not crazy about the opening opponent, but, hey, it, it's it's basketball. It's basketball. Let's go. So we'll be excited. All right, he's Casey Romela. He will join us throughout the basketball season. Wanted to get him in here to introduce him today. Casey, appreciate it. Of course. Good time. We'll have you on in October leading into that opener and throughout the, the season to come. All right, this has been Hoist the Colors. We'll be back tomorrow with Mark Yellock and also talking rice with Matthew Bartlett from The Roost. We'll talk to you then. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Big tax credits are back. Get a 30% tax